All right, so it's recording. All right, so today I have Lord Dunsany, Randall Plunkett, the heavy metal baron, and um, Excuse the Blood is going to uh, join us, and we're going to ask him about his adventures with making films, of which he's made at least one feature-length film and some short films. And we both watched it. I think we both watched it this week or last week, and I thought it was very good. And uh, I've asked you about this before when I was up there, and I tried I tried to include it in this article I wrote, and it was like it was like War and Peace it was so long. I remember sending you the first draft. I was like, why would I send him like fifteen thousand words? This is crazy, but I did. I don't know why. So I always thought we should get back into it because you had many uh, interesting stories about how you went about it and how it how it came about for you. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me. First off. That on this kind of warmish night. Yeah, it's a bit cold out here in the shack. Well, it's always cold in my house, but you know, we have cold hearts. So it yeah. keeps us keeps us at our natural temperature, we lizard people. That's right, yes. You you uh, Norman gentry <laughs> tyrants. Exactly, exactly. And uh you know excuse the blood. Anyways, you are you you've talked with them once before. Um, yes, I believe we have. Good to see you again. Likewise, Randall. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, always. All of us are uh, people who live in Ireland who, well, aren't entirely Irish, I guess, or grew up in different places. We should say that's the way we should say. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> here we are. I think I think all all three of us, to an extent, share bond both Anglo-Irish bonds to an extent. So I think that's definitely something in common. That's true. We're a, we're a trio of blow-ins. Yeah, we're a mixed race. <laughs> <laughs> well, modern Ireland. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, Although you represent like your old uh, Ireland in many ways. I mean, well, you know, until you hit the thousand year mark, you're still a blow in. <laughs> right. What are you at? 700 years? Was it? Uh, I think 900? we're getting close to 900. <laughs> still a wait, bit to go. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, my anyways. Irish side of the family, I think. <sighs> originate from the Isle of Bute. So, well, if you count that as Scotland, that makes some blow-ins. But they've been based around, well, Scotland, Western Scottish Isles, and then the north of Ireland ever since the 1200s, I'd say. So, similar circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, we're all, we're all somewhat Irish. And, uh, I mean, if anything, Randall's more Irish than us, which is unusual. But he is. Well, it's, uh, we're splitting hairs here. I suppose it's like being an American. Like, what's a real American nowadays? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So you've, uh, yeah, you were excited about the setting up the new office last time. So you got, yeah, you got it all put up there. It took me forever to do it because trying to do anything in, because like I had a, I had a uh, baby, and the baby was going to take my office. And I suppose it's a lot like being beheaded by your, by your children. You know, they they take you and changing of the guards and all. So I got ousted. Felt uh, I felt like Gaddafi after Libya fell, um, and I had to be That's chased right. up the stairs to the new part of the house. And I turned a bit of a well. Let's just say I went I went hardcore on it to make it dramatic, and I pulled out a lot of dusty old paintings, which you know needed some help. Uh, it looks great. Only look problem great. is it's at the very top of the house, and I'm not in, I'm not that young anymore. And let's just say I'm beginning to feel it. In my older age, I'm beginning to just breathe a little bit too heavy at the top of the stairs. You know, when I was lifting my CDs, now 
don't know. Let me see if I can actually even show you my CD collection. Can you oh, even? I'm sure. Prodigious. Can, can you even see? So I had. I don't know if you can see that. Can you yeah, see that? Yeah. No, it's black. Hold yeah. Up. Hold on, Looks hold like on. a bookshelf. There we go. Is that better? CDs. No. CDs. No archaic. Where's the vinyl? Yeah. So vinyls over there. Oh, of course. Uh, but I am more of a CD guy. I know it's cool to be into vinyl, and I like vinyl too, but I was late to that party. Uh, but anyway, go more dramatic. Um, the problem was that uh, I had to carry all these CDs. I was like going up an, uh, uh, an apartment block, and I've never had such sore legs in my life. Oh, what happened? Uh, too dramatic. Here we go. There we go. Best dramatic. You need, you need one of those little granny stair lift things where you sit on the chair and it goes up, winding up your... Oh God! You know what? I was joking aside. I was thinking about that. I was thinking that's definitely something I could do. Have one of those little lift things. That you, I only ever see in those horror movies, and then the old little old person always gets like flung out of a window or something. Yeah, Gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What you really, yeah. what you really need is some slaves. Some what? <laughs> slaves. I'm just kidding. Obviously. Oh right, well, you know, we we might get our time again. <laughs> <laughs> This is what you'd be being accused of anyways, but actually, actually more, more likely I'm going to be the one carrying this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, you mentioned horror films. So let's talk about your horror film because that's the side of you that wasn't, um, I mean, there's several sides of you that weren't everyone. When you had the, the rash of articles come out about you, it was mostly about uh, rewilding, obviously. And it yeah, they, they love that nature stuff. See, if I yeah. was a squirrel, I'd get lots of attention, but no filmmaker nobody cares uh you let your grass grow oh my god everybody goes crazy <laughs> i remember doing that when i was in college we were just because we were lazy and the grass uh, grew up to our chests and the it was I getting to be like big giant pack rats in it this is in canada it was so actually getting you, dangerous you that now you would be you'd be a rock star yeah yeah it's true yeah and we were we were um i wasn't me but my roommate was growing weed in the house in the basement so it was really stupid obviously attracting attention like that Stupid, <laughs> typical college, college kid stupidity, but yeah, we just—I remember it being like a forest. It was beautiful when the wind would blow through. I would sit on the porch and watch, the, watch the long, <laughs> the lawn flow. Like, uh, you know, it's nice. It was actually like the scene uh, at British Bay in your movie, which was uh, with the flowing long grasses you have down there. That was oh, British Bay, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was really passionate about that particular scene because, um, like I, I love those old Japanese movies. Like I, I, that's my thing. Like old movies from the fifties and the sixties, you know, Hollywood, but Japan as well. And there was one. Um, there's one in particular. Just completely blank the name. Let me just get it here. Like a, a Kurosawa um, thing, or is it? Or what? No, Kurosawa is the uh, is is the common one. Uh, it's um, well, one of them was Woman of the Dunes, which is like one of the okay. best but there's another one and i've just onibaba that was it onibaba was one of my favorite films um when i was younger and i don't know if you've seen that movie no it's it's no. really cool basically it's about these uh these two women and they're living what is in this like in the swamp and their whole they live in like a tiny little tent thing and they live there's these giant grass and it blows in the wind and, and actually it's it's really cool because when they transition the scenes Often you just get these night shots of the like the the grass blowing in slow motion with the, the Japanese dongs, and it's really atmospheric. And basically, it's about these two like living off off the edge. And every so often they trap or kill like you know survivors out of war zones, and then they steal their stuff and sell it for rice. 
So it's these two, so it's an unlikely pair. And one of them is the mother, the mother-in-law and the wife of their son who's gone to war. And then their scoundrel friend of the, um, of the son appears one day without the son. And he kinda gets a bit cute, should we say. And it's very cool. It's absolutely worth watching. It's really yeah. some of the best Japanese cinema of the time. Oh, I'll be looking it up right after this if I can remember the name. Ali, what was it? Ali Kaba? Ali Baba. Ali Baba. Ali Baba. Okay. I will. I'll watch it tonight, maybe, if I can. I'm yeah. looking for something good. But uh, yeah, we're here well, to talk that, about your film. That is um, really good. Yeah, I will. I mean, you can, you know, you knew a lot about film when I was, that's, that was one of the things. Like when I first, when I interviewed you, uh, what the guys at Why Now gave me this 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 uh, program which transcribes audio recordings and just gave me like a huge readout of things I had to go through, and there was a long conversation of you talking about films that you knew. There was other Japanese films you were talking about, and yeah, the ones that influenced you. And films you, my, film you, sorry, yeah, go on. yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, as you were saying. Oh, there was a film. There was a film. There was the details of the film that you almost made or still hope to make, which was like yes, a, uh, yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean the the thing is, um, well, I'll, I'll first I'll stop before I get into that. Let me let me explain right. a little bit of context of where this sort of Japanese interest comes from. Because I mean, you you're a big fan of my great grandfather's, right? And yeah, okay. you know that that he was quite um, prolific, and he had, you know, because of the kind of work he did, he was. Uh, it's very has a, a very sort of Japanese Eastern feel in many ways, and he was very. Um, fascinated by the East. And in fact, we have a lot of ornaments in the house uh, of Asian or, uh, of Asian origin. And yeah. the story goes that he was so obsessed with Asian things that he asked the distributors who are putting out his stuff in, in the Asian areas, he, that he didn't want any money for his books, that he would just want artifacts and pieces of art or anything from their culture. And yeah. it was, Asia back at the turn of the century. So they were obviously extremely honored because they didn't have the attention or the focus from the West that they do today. Yeah. Um, so they did actually, and they were very generous. So there's a lot of Asian uh, stuff in the house. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you know, it was always around me when I was young. And my father, as a result of that, had an interest in Asian cinema. And that's how I got so into the classic uh, Japanese, Chinese, and, you know, uh cinema and so yeah so i think i think there was always a little bit of that uh eastern interest in my house but the the movie that you're referring to is a script that we have working and it was basically um it was a survival story in a post-apocalyptic land uh basically a sort of if you like an eastern nod to a sort of a, a, a blend of gothic with an eastern influence if you like right. so quite a, a, a mix there mm -hmm. and the idea was it the human population had become toxic and as a result the earth uh smacked back by by creating monsters that that came in the night and and, and wiped out the population so it has that kind of zombie-esque atmosphere right. but the the beauty of it is is that there's a guy the main character is is oriental he's japanese and he has nothing to do with his time surviving in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an attic space in the woodlands. So all he has is lots of scraps of paper and he folds origami. And that's what the movie's called, it's called origami. And along the way of trying to survive day by day, uh, he winds up bumping into a, a, young, a young girl who is on her way trying to get to um, her family who have 
who are wealthy and who have a, a plane that can take them to a lone island that hasn't seen the monsters. And she basically convinces him to go with her, even though, you know, he's very samurai type kind of personality, very minimalist. And there's a lot of staring and they go on this journey trying to survive and get into all kind of wacky adventures trying to get there. Um, right. But it is got this kind of gothic aspect to it, because rather than trying to create something that was very much your typical survival horror, which everything is just ruined, I wanted to kind of create a, a alternative world, a world where the architecture doesn't make sense. So there was a lot of sort of elements of the surreal uh, incorporated into the atmosphere, which, again, makes it a very hallucinogenic looking uh, concept. Yeah. Uh, very heavy uh, on the production design and very yeah. um, expensive. Expensive, okay. or yeah. at least at least should we say um, heavy duty in terms of decor. I mean, obviously, how how far along that path is up to you. I mean, you can do quite a lot with very little. I mean, see some of the Chinese films, for example. You know, a good background with with a, with a bit of smoke and a, and a and a few odd shaped doors will go a long I way. Seen, I can't think of many Chinese films except for like really old seventies kung fu movies, like the story. The only Chinese movie. cinema that I can think of, and I don't know whether you explicitly call it Chinese because I think it was done in Hong Kong I think is the films of Wong Kar Wai well I mean the the Wong Kar Wai I would I would definitely I would definitely I mean Hong Kong Chinese I, I put them in a similar I put them in the same boat in that They're respect but yeah Wong Kar Wai is a good example I mean if you look at um, a lot of what he did with very little there was a sort of a um, like a magic that happens with his storytelling I mean a lot of what, how he frames the story is what sort of gives us that kind of, uh, it, it's, it, it gives us an alluring effect to the characters. Because I mean, if you think about it, it's a very simplistic idea, but it's told almost like a, in this velvety kind of sweetness. You know, every shot is shot through frames. You don't see the, the, the antagonists on either side of the relationships. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting um, what happened there with that film in particular. That's a particularly um, influential one for me. Um, I, I really miss that in actually older cinema is the cleverness of the limits of the budget and so forth and just like a good clever single shot frames like or the way they would shoot a frame and what they would have in it was just often just out of like the need for it to be uh, you know prudent or whatever but but you see here's the thing what I've always thought with with films because I mean yes you can have a lot of special effects you can do a lot of stuff or you could just use light and light doesn't yeah. have to be so expensive you know if you make stuff very dark and you make you make texture texture and, and light and darkness is what can give you that atmosphere you know and if you contra uh, if you contrast that with 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 having a huge amount of light you get a lot of layers of color i mean that's one of the things I, when i do a movie um i'm writing a movie now for example and in fact one of the things i do i come up with a concept and then the next thing i do is i focus on an artists or two artists maybe three even who i will sort of look at their study their work a little bit and I will. Painters? Sorry. You mean painters? Uh, yeah, painters. So today, example, what I'm talking about. One of the ones I'm working on today, I'm focusing on. Can you see that? Edward Hopper. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. Right. And the reason why yeah. I like Edward Hopper because it's an unusual artist that you'd think a guy like me probably wouldn't pay any attention to. But what I like about Edward Hopper, and let me show you an example of what I'm talking about here, is Edward Hopper. Do you know anything about Edward Hopper? No, I, I'm not so, that I can recall. He was, a, he was married and he was deeply unhappy in his marriage. And he's, if you look at his paintings throughout his body of work, 
a lot of what was interesting about his paintings were the fact that how he modeled people together. And if you look at a lot of how the characters uh, are portrayed in his paintings, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about here if I can find one. They are always positioned in this sort of almost, there's a conflict, but without being an aggressive conflict. There's always a sort of despair between characters. There's a sort of lack of communication. And that's for me, one of the things that I will study in work. And then I will try and build upon because if, uh, if the fundamental um, concept of that, of not being able to communicate, of not having a relationship that um, it no longer bears fruit, if you like, it's, 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 yeah. you're there, but you're not really there. The communication isn't there. Your body language changes. And it's this, these yeah. moments of sensitivity uh, yeah. that are captured in his, in his paintings. And if your themes are the characters no longer deal like, like it is in the script that I'm writing at this moment, it's very easy to to parallel uh, inspiration of of how things are blocked out in a painting, and mimic that in storytelling, and particularly when it comes to framing films, yeah. and that's what the Chinese do particularly well, uh, and why I particularly like the Wong Kar Wai, who we spoke about earlier, is particularly good. If you look at his work, how he positions characters within the frame, and a lot can be told even if you didn't know what they were saying just on their body language. That's real cinema, and that's one of the reasons why I focus a lot on art. Um, with the Green Sea, incidentally, I focused a little bit more on the on the on the on landscapes. So I looked a lot at Grimshaw. I don't know if you know Grimshaw. Uh, yeah, I do know Grimshaw. And actually, um, excuse the blood, and I were both one one of the first things we we said about the Green Sea, having watched it finally, is the uh, cinematography was really beautiful. It was really, I, I was going to say professional, <laughs> but that's not that's not the right. You know what I mean? It was. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. It, it, it's tricky enough because we didn't have a lot of money and we, we were really struggling for production because we, we were expecting to get a lot more than we got and we yeah. had to cut our production by about a third, which is a, it's really hard to do. Um, and, uh, and especially uh, someone with, with my level of experience and, and not with the, should we say, the most um, experienced crew, experience in terms of working relationships experience. There was there were plenty of experience there, but and it's operating a crew like a crew lives and dies by its management and you know there was there was certainly a lot of room for improvement there but uh so we were very we were severed from day one with with a great deal of production problems which ultimately costs on screen but yeah, um what, yeah what, no what, 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 mention mention a few maybe because it's interesting for anybody well, who's ever tried to make a movie yeah like so the first thing is we were expecting to have 30 days to shoot the film uh, we had no opportunity to move the shooting dates because we were sandwiched between Christmas um, and and we were supposed to start, shoot in October. We had to push our dates into the end of November and basically shoot throughout December, which is the very worst time to shoot in Ireland for a couple of reasons. One, there's no daylight. Right. It's dark at four o'clock, as you guys yeah. know. So a lot of the – and there, there's a large amount of um, – what we had a lot of problems was is that we'd had we'd have to set up because there was so little daylight we had to set up that much earlier and we'd have to wait around waiting for the sun to rise you know those kinds of like time wasting things were very yeah. bad the other thing is that there was a game of thrones was doing its final season vikings was doing its also was doing some mega season for itself so all the crew was gone like we had very little ability and we were a small film so we couldn't compete with game of thrones um, you know money um, well, so, in, terms of how you, in terms of how you shot it, it was very, very well done. As uh, I mean, so like, yeah. who, who was it? Were you 
mostly responsible for that, or was that the? No, that I had. A, I, have, I brought a friend of mine who's a Russian cinematographer called Philip. Yeah, I've never seen a Russian name there. Yeah. Yeah, and we. Um, the Russians are very, very talented at telling stories as well. I mean, if you look at Russian cinema, they have a, a style that is is very unique. And they're, they love these philosophical ways of telling stories also. So there is a natural uh, ability there for Russians, especially, I think, uh, Philip, who is very um, well seasoned in cinema. Um, and he tells a lot of story with his camera work. I mean, if you look at a lot of Irish cinematography, there's a lot of very good quality stuff there, but it tends to be still very much more based on, on the action. Um, yeah. The storytelling tends to still be a lot more vocal and it tends to be a lot more kind of, I would say, um, should we say conventional? Um, where Philip was very, very keen on, on and like as I am, on very, very close details. So we, we, we shot, we tended to shoot with, with um, wider lenses and we tended to go right up into people's faces. Um, the idea was that you get these, these intimacies, um, which I think in, in our film was quite important because there's a lot being said, but what's being said is only a symptom of what's really happening. Um, right. So for me, that was very important. And also for us, the idea was that her her house was her prison, so to speak. And we kept it extremely dark, which, again, created a bit of a, if you like, a suffocating look. It didn't really it didn't give us the contrast that we necessarily would have normally have gone for. It kind of yeah. created this um, the swallowing of, of the blacks, um, which is a bit unconventional to do. Um, but we contrasted that with trying to have these exceptionally wide and bright outdoors shots. Yeah. You notice that in the beach and when they go walking, even though the times of day are still kind of like sundown, et cetera, but you still see these massive shots where there's space, there's it, it air. Looked, it all looked like natural light. It was like watching, what's that Kubrick film where you used only natural light? Barry Lyndon or something. Barry Barry Lyndon, like, yeah. like natural Irish light all the way through it, except for probably the dream, not the dream, the... Uh, when she's telling the story and the guys are looking in the car in the in the cave or whatever it is the yeah i mean we um for that that we um mostly you know what that was mostly just torchlight with a few spots here and there um was it? it was very minimalist like we were really into black i'm really as, as you can tell i i'm a fan of art and one of the things that i you know you've probably heard the term a chiaroscuro which came, you know, was very popularized by Caravaggio. And that's a very common influence for many filmmakers. But uh, a sort of a, a more extreme version of, of Chiaroscuro was something called Tenebrism. Uh, and Tenebrism was a much more dramatic version of, of Chiaroscuro, where Chiaroscuro, there were shades of darkness. Tenebrism was hard blacks. Uh, and it creates, again, it's, it's very extreme, um, but I listen to death metal, so my films should be extreme in the same way as my music tastes. Um, so I, I kind of went for these very hard blacks with the cinematographer, which is again un unconventional, really. Um, yeah. Well, no, it, and it worked. You out actually really mentioned uh, there earlier that you had a Russian cinematographer, and just going back, I, it was about two or three months ago when I watched The Green Sea. Just thinking back, and when you mentioned that you had a Russian cinematographer, it had me thinking of, um, I hope I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, it's Andrei Zivagintsev. Uh, he did the film Leviathan. Oh, yes, yes, no, yeah. Don't now ask that me I to pronounce his name movie, either. Now that I remember watching The Green Sea and the emphasis on scene and certain types of coloration, 
yeah. in certain shots. I do remember that there was definitely some parallels with some of his work. There is, and and you saw particularly with Leviathan, you see you see that kind of the way they they handled the coast, and they would shoot these these kind of scenes, and there was a lot of sort of um, different shades of color on the horizon. Now, we tried to do that as well with our um, we used uh, certain filters and stuff like that that would enhance the skyline. Um, and that was very important for us. And even some of the discoloration, I mean, the coloring of the Green Sea isn't quite natural. And if you look at any of the movies I've made thus far, you'll never see very natural coloring. I always tend to go a little off natural because one, I, I kind of like the, to delve in the realms of the fantastical anyway, even when I'm trying to tell something that isn't quite fantastical. Um, like with memories, when we, when we think back, we don't see memories as reality. We see them almost as dreams. You know, and that's how I sort of see life. And when I'm telling a story, I kind of want to, you know, the cinema verite concept uh, doesn't quite translate to what I try and do, um, where I go for things that are always a bit unnatural. If you look at some of the, the, the coloring of the skies, for example, in the Green Sea, when, he, when they're walking through the cornfield, you see that the sky doesn't look right. It, it, we, we spend a lot of time kind of almost creating an artificial sky within the sky. And we did that by painting small amounts of pink along the along the skyline. To, again, with this contrast of greeny blue. Again, it doesn't look natural, but it gives us a, a, a. And if once you've seen the film and you think back, all right, is it is it real? Is it not real? Was that character even part of her imagination or not? One tends to see that the sort of magic and this imagination side of the character is being almost projected onto the reality of where what we're doing in the scene. And that's how I look at film. And that's very interesting for me. It's a, it's a style thing that I kind of enjoy doing. Um, and it's, it's something that I would like to do even more of. And as time goes on, I can see myself going further and further in that spiral. Of course, by the time I make my, my third or fourth film, I suspect that nobody will be watching because it'll probably just be some very abstract thing that, that nobody can follow, like Inland Empire by David Lynch. Well, it's very funny that you mentioned previously. Sorry, go on. Yeah. It's very funny you mentioned um, the use of artists and paintings as a means to just get an idea or get a grip of how you might want a scene that you've written or penned to, to be acted out and portrayed when you actually film it. Because that brings me back, and this is just coming off of the top of my head, uh, I think, Brendan, you might have originally turned me on to this, uh, would be the Australian New Wave film by Peter Weir, Picnic at, at Hanging Rock, where I oh, think oh. a lot of the scene shooting in that was largely inspired by a, a romantic era paintings of the Australian outback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I actually really like that film as well, and it has a kind of almost like if you look at it, there's almost like a sh uh, uh, a softness to the to the film. They obviously used um, what I think is they probably had a soft a softer uh, a softness. Offer. Soften, uh, so, yeah, a filter that made it softer because if you look at the edges of that film, you see that there's always a, a bit of soft blur, and you can get filters like that. Um, and they they make everything more dreamlike. And it it did remind me a lot. Interesting that you pointed that one out in particular. There was an artistic movement um, in the UK where they did a lot of things with like fairies and things like that. And it almost feels that, it, that there was a bit of inspiration from there. I would have loved to actually you get like the pre-Raphaelite or something? Pre-Raphaelite pre, pre as well, but there was also another movement where they focused the on- Romanticism had a lot of fairies. Or... Yeah, so it's probably that. But the, um, 
I, I got to remember the name of that artist who did who did and he did an amazing story, uh, and the, he's got one painting where it's it's all fairies in a in a huge British guy. What was his name? Oh, I think he, yeah. he went mad, and I think he killed Lewis himself. Wayne. Sorry. Oh, it's Lewis Wayne. Could be, could be. I have to get Lewis it Wayne. Here. I don't think it's Lewis Wayne. I think Lewis Wayne was an eccentric who dealt exclusively with cats. But uh, I just know of Lewis Wayne because he was committed to the asylum. So yeah, I mean that sounds like him, all right. He, he went crazy. Let me show you this quick because I I do a bit of painting and I as I just found this today actually and it's a perfect example of your extreme chiaroscuro. It's all scuffed and marked because I forgot about it and left it laying on some rubbish. It's like I never finished it. I don't know if this will even show up. Can you see that? No, you can't really. Well, I, it's, it's, it's very dark. dark you might you might have to screenshot it what for us later. Is that any better? I, I still can't quite see that. Okay, never mind. Doesn't matter. I've got a good glimpse of it. Did you? Yeah. It's like a Celtic warrior or something, but. Just as an example, you know, they all reminds me a bit of Gustav Dahl. <laughs> well, I got paintings laying around there, but like we all like yeah. to dabble in our. But but you uh paint you paint like you do you paint would you paint with oil paint? Yeah, yeah. Like all this desk behind yeah. me is covered in oil paints and nonsense here. Yeah, stuff like that. So you but, can really um, you can yeah. really understand uh, what I I'm trying to. Get, I wanted to hear more about some of your um, other production problems actually before we. Oh, okay. Uh, Sure, but before we get onto that, I'll just I'll just say, but you can probably really understand because you're a painter. Now I'm not a painter; I have no artistic skill at all. Um, but my father was a painter, so I spent a lot of time looking and waiting and watching. Now, when I was young, it was boring as hell. I didn't want to, yeah, didn't want to know. It's funny because now my dad is dead. I, I kind of regret that I never got a time to really focus. I would have loved to ask more questions. But it's it's interesting with with art because with art you have to present your entire story with one frame, and with film you get to present yeah. it in many frames. But but that's the power of art really because you have to make that much statement in a very well, small window. I'd say film is a superior medium really because it combines the painting plus music plus storytelling. Really, it's like the ultimate in many ways. That's why everyone wants to know how how it is you made got to make some films at all. Like people like me myself and. And excuse the blood here like we obviously would have dreamed about doing such things and you actually pulled it off so like it, it requires so many different talents uh and genres of art like mixed into one like it's i mean it, it, it definitely does and, and don't get me wrong like there's obviously the you know what people enjoy is each one has their own interests um yeah. and the thing is it is so difficult one thing i can universally say across the board doesn't matter how good or how bad your movie is to even finish a film isn't a really massive achievement because whether it's a short film, a long film, doesn't matter yeah. because yeah. everything is stacked against you. And I'll get into to what we were saying, production problems. So we had the, the movie I originally told you about, the, the one with the Japanese influence, we had pushed, tried to push that movie through for several years and we just kept coming. We got very, very close to making it. We got a huge commitment of, of about three and a half million put by one um, country in Belgium, one company in Belgium who's, who liked it so much that we put um, three and a half million into it, which was a huge commitment. I mean, it was our first time film director, but we yeah. got um, Catherine Isabel was was is pegged to be that one of the actresses in it. That's how I met her, and ultimately right. how she ended up with this movie. Um, right. And and the other person we were going to use was a was a Chinese filmmaker, Ch Chinese, um, well, yeah, Taiwanese. I beg your pardon. Um, 
cinematographer called Mark Pingbin Lee, who you may know his films because he did um, um, In the Mood for Love. He was the, he was the first cinematographer for that. That film had two cinematographers. And right. often Christopher Doyle gets talked about more, but Christopher Doyle was his disciple, if you like. Um, but he is one of the best, in fact, I would argue that he's the best cinematographer from Asia living today. Um, yeah, arguably, including the dead. Um, he is, he's literally a genius. Um, and yeah. he's a real artist and a lovely man. Um, unfortunately, the movie hasn't gone. So I ended up in a situation where I had spent several years and I had nothing to show for it. And I was having breakfast actually with, uh, with Katie. And I sort of felt, because we become friends at this point, like I'm a huge fan of her career and I love her movies. And I think she's really, really underrated. And I was talking to her and I sort of said, well, you know, cause you kind of got, she kind of got typecast a little bit for a while doing a lot of horror movies that she wasn't that into cause she wasn't even that into horror movies. And I kind of said, would you ever be interested in doing something a little bit off kilter, you know, a little bit something that may be a bit alternative kind of drama, but not a conventional cry in your soup drama, but something that perhaps you get to act like a crazy bitch, you know, a monster, if you like, uh, yeah. uh, Charlie Theron's monster. But yeah, that's, that's what I know her from is horror movies, to be honest. Yeah. But that's unfortunately, that's what most people know her for. And don't get me wrong. She's done great horror movies. I, I love them. But yeah. she does have a lot of acting skills. And in the end, let's be honest, horror movies tend to be very samey in terms of the characters exploration. And so for her, you know, it, it's painting by numbers a little bit as an actress. You know, you, there's only so many times you can scream and run, um, especially an actress like that who has a lot of levels. And so I kind of pitched her an idea. What if I could make an anti-hero who was so awful, so detestable that there's a good chance that the audience will hate her by the end of the movie? And funny enough, she said to me, is like, sure, when can we do it? So I said, sure, I'll give you, I'll give you something in six months. And I had to sit there and write a script. Now, it was a couple of uh, mashups from a couple of ideas that I stuck together, and I basically came up with the Green Sea. Um, but so we had to speed roll this movie very, very quickly. And we got some financial commitments, but we were hoping for the film board to, to back us. And we put a submission in with them, and they basically just sat on it for a very long time. And we were getting very, very close to the deadline when we were actually having to start shooting the film. And I hadn't heard anything from them. They sort of read it. They kind of like just kept stalling. And then finally, they wrote me a really pointed letter saying that they didn't think the movie was any good, that it, you know, I wasn't good enough and blah, 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 blah. Throw a bit of mud where you can. Um, but um, the thing is, so so anyway, that, that didn't quite work. So what I, I had to do- I actually knocked myself out of the screen. Pardon me, pardon me. That, that's okay. You, you so, probably didn't even notice, <laughs> but I knocked myself out. All I saw was red splodge, so it's okay. okay. Uh, but what 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 happened was is that so what happened? We lost a third of the budget because we they were supposed to put a third up. Um, so I had I wasn't able to do I wasn't able to just magically grab that money from somewhere. So I had to run to the bank, take a loan from my credit union to get to sort of fix some of that budget, but not the whole of it. And then we had to start cutting just to make it financially viable. So we had to push the shooting date about a month, which is terrible gave us no headroom. Originally, we were trying to shoot, uh, you know, we could have spread it out a bit and, and shot a little bit more um, coherently and given us a bit more room because at that time of year, the weather is terrible. Um, and it was one of the coldest years. In fact, we had to cancel a whole bunch of shoot days because it was snowing. And you guys live in Ireland. And how often does it snow? 
at Christmas. Yeah, not for years. It doesn't. And I would shoot one scene and it was lovely. And then the next day there'd be a blizzard and I couldn't shoot because there's no, no way in hell I was going to be able to convince anybody that that was the same day. And even that day, in fact, funny enough, the, the day we shot the beach scenes, we shot those two scenes, those two, that whole section of the movie, the first two days. And we literally, the scene that we started with was the scene where they are, they're on the top of the, of the hilltop and they're saying goodbye. Yeah. And literally I said, hey, this is Hazel. Uh, this is Katie. Uh, we're going to do this scene. You've been on a massive journey. Here we go. <laughs> and literally, that was it. I had five minutes. They had five minutes to say, hi, love what you do. Done. Here we go. So you had, you had massive unexpected weather uh, problems too. A force majeure. Yeah, and, weather, and weather that whole sequence had a an absolute um, hurricane blowing. Now, we had an amazing sound guy who, I got to be honest with you, I thought he was a bit mental at the beginning because he, he was so convinced that he right. could get good sound even in the worst circumstances that I thought he was, he was drinking or something. But by the end, I was actually pretty convinced he was actually very good. Um, but you would, you can't tell that there was an absolute hurricane going there. Like I think at one point in one of the off cuts, my hat flies past the actress. <laughs> the fact you just brought up uh, filmmaking and time frames just made me think of, it, it's kind of a very often thrown about fun fact of uh, film trivia and it concerns a classic film made in Ireland and that was uh, David Lean's uh, Ryan's Daughter. So obviously people like him had, you know, because he obviously did stuff like Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. It's very clear he was going to have a ton of resources, a ton of money, uh, and big studios backing his decision-making is apparently when he was filming it, I think it was done in Kerry, and they filmed that movie. He apparently waited for an entire year for the ideal storm to be shot on a beachhead. So apparently he drove his crew absolutely fucking mental doing that. Yeah. Well, that's very, I mean, if, if you can do such a thing, that's a great luxury, obviously. You, pro you probably won't see that done again, to be honest. <laughs> It's, oh, yeah. it's actually quite funny. I, I kind of love um, one of the filmmakers I really um, love is a guy called Terrence Malick. I don't know if you've seen any of his. Oh, movies. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and Terrence Malick is, again, another genius. Um, and if you like what I like about his films is, is that he's got a, a natural he's an ability for telling stories through almost like a poetry of motion. Right. And if you look at a lot of what he does, he, it's it's in the blocking, it's in the positioning, it's in the movement of the camera and the movement of the actors. There's um to the wonder has, has got a whole sequence of, of the of the the love affair of the two of the love affair, the love relationship between the the um what's his name uh, Ben Affleck and the the other girl and she's dancing through the supermarket, which is completely unnatural. Nobody does that, and but he has an ability to make these kinds of things these these behaviors feel completely completely real and yeah. and it's so almost over the top and manic that and and it's the way he tells the story with the camera and i heard a story that he spent um i think it was the tree of life or may have been um the one with um with uh, the irish guy with the favorite time uh, colin farrell I forget his name now uh, the new world the new world that he spent hours a whole day just staring at the at the sky waiting for the clouds to move while the whole crew is waiting and he shot for about 20 minutes that day got the scenes he wanted and that was it now he's a genius but apparently a lot of the cast were getting kind of upset um 
sort of saying what 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 the hell is going on here and it's just him and the cinematographer were just looking up and waiting <laughs> and everybody else sitting there like you can imagine if the producer's sitting there like we're, we're paying per hour here and everybody's like looking around and nobody's shooting the you know the electrician smoked his 20th cigarette for the day you know the coffee lady is looking trying to think what's going on here space cadets yeah but, but I mean, that's I, why I actually remember that movie. The, I, the only thing I do remember from that movie is cinematography shots. I remember scenes of like a tree and a stream and would just like stay on them for like 10 seconds. And then it was beautiful. I remember that's the only yeah. thing I remember from that movie. If I, but, the one, the, but that's the one what makes watched. him amazing. Now, if I, if I tried to pull that nonsense, I mean, somebody would have me arrested. But but the truth is uh, for, well, for yeah, vandalizing yeah. and stealing money because you're literally robbing people that. But he can get right. away with it. Yeah. Yeah, but so okay. Let me just ask you this: And you were say on the Green Sea, like, how many people would you need on on a day? You know, so it depends. It it, it does depend. So so the film got shot across two. We had to break it up a little bit. So a lot of the stuff that happened with um, the girl walking through the factory and the, the chase and all that stuff got shot after Christmas because we couldn't fit it uh, leading right. up before Christmas. So with that, we had a very small crew and we had maybe like 15 people, 12. Um, that's, and then on with the, the main stuff, we had about 25, 30. It's a lot of people. Yeah, um, it's still a lot, yeah. I, I, yeah. But, but you see, even when a small budget film, and we had a very small budget, right? I mean, it doesn't sound that small. I mean, we, we had something, but we didn't have a lot. And yeah. the problem is, and this is something that's kind of funny, because when you have nothing, it's actually easier than when you have something. Because when you have nothing, you 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 have nothing to hold you on top of anything. You you don't you don't have to follow all the rules. You mean but you the can still produce nothing you have, if you're not forced to actually do something? Is that, is that what you mean? Well, what I mean is, is like once you the for example, if you're going to do something like what I did, and in the past I never had any money. I just did it, you know, sort of how we did it. You know, I got people that didn't pay them. We just gave them expenses. Everybody was looking for an opportunity. You know, we took yeah. chances. We didn't have all these, you know, privileges. You know, there yeah. wasn't all the union rules. But the moment you suddenly start having a little bit, suddenly all the union rules kick in. Suddenly, if you're going to drive an hour beyond the... So, for example, in Ireland, for example, we have uh, a certain rule, like productions cannot film beyond an hour from the lo the main location or the what they call the unit base, okay. right? That's a rule in Ireland. Now... If you shoot beyond that, you have to give an hour extra in the morning for the people to get there and an hour extra to sort off home. So you're losing two hours a day. Remember right. that you get an hour for lunch. That's three hours that you're losing just to right. go over that distance. Right. That's very expensive and very detrimental. Yeah. And also, if they go beyond, for example, people can request that you get they get put up for the yeah. night. So that, again, adds more value. So any of these movies that you see are normally shot within a very short distance of each other. That right. limits you quite a bit. Now, we did not do that. <laughs> we, yeah. we had a few bad things. Now, if I had to do it again, I would absolutely listen to the rules. But we shot in Wicklow at, at British Bay, which is yeah. far from here. We yeah. shot in Dunsany, a good chunk of the movie. And then we went to Westmeath and shot in Mullingar. So was that, um, was that actually in your house or her house? Was that part of your house? And that or... was one of the properties that's here, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, so what we did, um, so that's a, that's an interesting house. So let me tell you. So that house used to be yellow, right? It was a a um, institutional yellow. And when I was doing this thing, we were in between. There was nobody living in it. We were just just done some renovations. And I said to my mom, "Look, look, 
doing this movie. Can I use the house? And my mom said, well, we'll, we'll keep it off the market for a couple of months until the movie's done. We'll use it because it's hard to find locations that you can do stuff in, yeah. uh, especially that don't cost you lots of money. So, um, so what we did, I painted the house black. Um, so I don't know if you know uh, this guy called Anton LaVey. Yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah. So he had a black house, right? Of course it's, he did, it, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I paid us a little, sorry, cult, cultural nod to Anton LaVey. Um, okay. nice. Because he was a kind of a, a, a funniest character who was obviously very involved with all kinds of funny stuff that happened back in the day. Oh, and he was, yeah. I sort, I sort of thought there's nothing more of a, that will make you a pariah in a Catholic place like Ireland than having, one, a black house being a foreigner that's basically associated with anything that looks satanic, which you would be if you were in a black metal band <laughs> from America, you'd be the devil. And yeah. so to create that sort of, to, to add to that little repertoire that Catherine Isabel had, we painted the house okay. black. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was it was already makes it eye-catching because you don't see black houses in Ireland. That you don't mm -hmm. see that. I don't think you see black houses anywhere. Yeah, um, probably not, no, no, no they and then, in fact, we did something very, very strange because, again, when you're dealing with, with lighting um, and you're shooting dark, you, it's not about just making everything dark because otherwise you have no contrast, no, you know, dark colors absorb light. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to shoot dark, it is often advisable to have something that will contrast your darker tones, something that will actually break up your set. So our house was black. The inside was that dark green which again added to the tenebrism, which again created this very sort of almost claustrophobic feel to the darkness because yeah. you didn't have the natural partitions of the light. And wasn't, uh, her, so painted, wasn't her music room almost the red, like the red in your, it was purple or something, wasn't it? Yeah. The room with the, yeah. With the, yeah. And that, that was the other thing. So we had the two contrasts. We had the green and everything was green bar that one. And then there was right. that, that kind of reddish kind of feel, yeah. which again, again was, and it was a reason for that because those are the warmest, that location is where the warmest scenes of the house are and those are the, the intimate scenes where there's actually something happening between the two characters like an intimacy so it wasn't by accident um right. the rest of the move the house particularly her office it's it's her dungeon you know what i mean even even the bedroom is where she's having nightmares where she's and drinking her face off she's doing her what drinking her face off and uh... drinking her face off so <laughs> it is very intoxicating and that's the only room in the house that's not that that color right no, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, she was, yeah, like, like, and she's a very good actress, actually, and um, she did a lot of good acting in that, I, I would say. And she was sort of like an unlikable slag, and a lot in parts of it, and you'd be like, ah, oh. but then she would be endearing as well, and you'd feel like, and she had some. And so those tattoos weren't her. She had like all the the hard the tattoos you put on her that you just someone had to draw those on her, obviously. Every oh. single day, that was a nightmare. Oh my god. But uh, yeah, it, was it would be. It would be because, you know, like tattoos look cool until you think how many hours of, of makeup do you have to do every single day to, to make it work. Uh, it was actually like if I had it nowadays, I probably would have said, you know, no tattoos, but <laughs> yeah. the, you, can, you can have a nose ring instead. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but the, the thing is, the, with, with, what about the yeah? child actor? You were saying about the union stuff. The, you had the young girl. I don't know what age she is. is, it, yeah. is it with the so she was 16 when that movie was being made. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, 16? Yeah, I think so. 16. She was quite young. So I had been, I knew her from before because I'd actually been following her career since she was about 11 because I saw her in something and I thought she's very, very good for an 11 year old. 
And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to like work with her at some point. And I was thinking the whole time, can I get her for something? Do I have a part? And so I've been dying to work with her for a long time. And I saw her, she started really well. She did a, a Peter Pan adaption, which, which was really good. And uh, she had some pretty good uh, Hollywood talent in that. She just, you know, the problem is with, with good actors. It's not just good enough to have two good actors and plunk them in a room. Some, the biggest problem is, is actually pairing actors together. And that's something which you don't read about too much in, 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 in a lot of these make movies and buy my book kind of. Because it's, it's, it's just chemi it's chemistry, I guess, is it? There's chemistry, but there's more than that. You can be a great actor, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to stand your ground to a, a really great actor. And that's the problem that we were going to have with Katie because Katie was very, very Hollywood. She was very able to hold up. I mean, she's done movies with Al Pacino. An average actor doesn't get those positions because they won't hold up. They can't, they can't, you will notice. And I mean, yeah. it's hard to say, you're hard to really show this because when you see a movie with Al Pacino, those people who make movies with those people don't put actors who are just not um, yeah, up to yeah. scratch, you know, because especially in Hollywood where there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity, but it's one of some of the things that I was very worried about when I went in with her because she was so powerful that I thought any, even a good, a really good actor in Ireland was going to have a hard time kind of like being able to stage herself. Yeah. And Hazel was in a really difficult predicament because her role wasn't as dramatic as, as Catherine's. So she had to not only be able to hold her ground, she had to also do much less. Yeah. And that's the hardest kind of acting there is, but the girl, and, and she's playing a sort of like a, I won't say space cadet, but almost like a, She's playing an understated character. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of staring and like. But there's also a lot of like you're not doing too much because I mean the, the story is not hers. The story is Simone's. Yeah, and, no, she was good. Yeah, she was very good. And so the point is, is, is she was very good for doing much less, where a lesser actor would have tried to do more. And yeah. that was something that I didn't have any. I, thankfully, I didn't have any trouble with her because she was really, she's really phenomenal. I do think she's actually going to go very far. No, they're Place. both very good. They're both very good, and I actually recognize the actor playing the Irish mechanic, but I don't know. I don't know where I recognize him from. And at the end, it was like, "Where are they? Are they going to get together? Is there going to be a romance? Is she going to call him up?" Or, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't yeah. get back into it. Well, there, there was a, originally in the original concept, they there was a moment where they kind of they have a moment where things could go that way, and but that they leave it open. But in the end, I thought because she's because she's so aggressive and so so over the top as a personality, I, it occurred to me when we were making the movie that I think I was going to make a mistake by doing that. Because if you live, if you are such a horrible person and that very slowly we're able to win you over as a, as a because of the movie, when I first saw the movie and when I started showing people, what was interesting was that she was so detestable that a lot of people didn't like her. And the hardest part about taking that chance is that she's so awful because not only is she a child beater, she's, she's a drunk. She's, there's nothing likable about her. So the most powerful thing you can do is by the end of the movie is somewhat feel sorry for her. Right. We can feel sorry for her. We can even think, you know what, she's not so bad, but we can't reward her. And that was a very dangerous thing. If you reward someone that bad who's been that bad throughout the movie and we would give them too much at the end, Right, you lose it. There's mercy, but you only get a little bit of mercy, and that's yeah. that's the way it is. And that was a decision we made actually during the production that we cut that scene out because 
it was important that she she got her she got managed to get the book out and and healed yeah she doesn't get to, she doesn't get the romance as well that would be too much oh yeah so you mentioned hollywood there and that, that just made me think would you like have would you have ever considered or would you have opportunities more opportunities for making films if you went off to hollywood and i know you're tied uh, to your responsibilities at the estate because you are lord dunsany but I guarantee you that if I went to Hollywood, uh, I would have got more done, and and I probably would have. Uh, don't get me wrong; it, it's each each area is very difficult. But I think I think a lot of the difficulties I have in Ireland are often related to my background. Uh, yeah. I get you'd be surprised how much that becomes a problem. Oh, you should Even say yeah. You told me that you should go on to the. Good, tell us about the. Unless you don't want want to for some reason, you should go into the. No, no, I'm, I'm I'm pretty open about it. There is still a large contingency of people who have a problem with my heritage they, they don't like people with castles they don't like titles they don't like any of that stuff now bear in mind you know people people call me lord dunsany and and yes but i don't go around calling myself that I, i'm just random guy you know i listen to yeah. death metal I, i'm like a normal person and i work for a living um yeah. i don't ride a pony i don't drink pimps you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so there is that but there is a still that bias particularly in in ireland towards that and a lot of that tends to be people what i find is people tend to block you from things um without giving specifics i've had films been blocked at festivals and later i it find out from people that i know that things have been said like for example one festival and i won't name the name just in case somebody actually hears it here in a small country it's a major one but uh, the programmer from that festival um, blocked out there my previous film, and the, she actually was talking to one of the other uh, programmers who mentioned it because they had seen me in the corridor. What about that film? Because that film went to Cannes. That film had a lot of press around the time. It had done really well. Why didn't we that film get picked? And the woman said, and I quote, "I don't like that guy. These things uh, that you know, I don't like people in castles. I don't like." all that aristocracy there's none of that in ireland and that guy has enough and he's not getting anything from here yeah yeah and i get believe it that's just an example but i get that a lot and it's not yeah, because yeah. the girl doesn't like who i am or she's never seen the movie the problem was is she don't like people in castles yeah. and that happens a lot you know in america that probably wouldn't happen i might get a lot of people trying to sell me stuff a lot of people <laughs> telling me there but but it's it's a different thing you know they might be jealous but there's not going to be like they're not going to be historically hateful as a yeah. result of it. Um, and you had something. You had a similar problem with the was it the Irish Film Board or something? Yeah, I mean, look, those those bureaucratic things are always difficult, no matter what country you go to. Unfortunately, we didn't we didn't have the best um, situation. Again, I don't. You know, it's a bureaucratic thing. So you, maybe it was the wrong day. Maybe it was the wrong person. You know, incidentally, that person is no longer working there, so it's a good thing. But there was, I, I felt that there was a little bit of so should we say a slight attitude towards me from before i even walked in the room yeah um you know yeah. It, look it happens a little too often um there, a lot of people say well you're rich you don't need you don't need anything you don't need support you don't we don't shouldn't be giving it to people like you and i get that also yeah. um and look it's difficult but the truth of the matter is is like movies don't make themselves these these are government things and and often that makes it difficult and where private money and things like that are a bit more uh easier because you know people don't care if they're looking to, to invest in a movie they 
they don't care. They're looking to find a good movie, maybe. Maybe they like you. Maybe they like the script. Maybe they want to meet the actress or the actor. You know, there's a, a couple of other reasons that maybe it's commercial. But when it's when it's like I said, communist money, there's a, there's a lot of strings attached, and it's difficult because again, it's it's painting my numbers. Did you tick all my boxes? And sometimes they just, you know, I'm I always describe myself as pistachio flavored. Not everybody likes pistachio. Some people have a nut nut allergy. You know what I mean? What absolute idiots don't like pistachio? For God's sake, it's the best. It's the best I, I would agree, but uh, but I don't have a nut allergy, and you know, like I said, yeah. Yeah. people like vanilla, and and like I said, so the problem is with these institutions, is it it's a club, and it's very difficult to manage in Ireland because it's a small club, and it's a you know it's hard to get in that club, and in the states, I've always had much more success, even in in terms of festival runs. Now that's where you can really tell there's a difference because if you look at my batting average in America over here, mm -hmm. it's much higher in favor of the United States. Okay, um, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, which is, is difficult. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And you were saying to me uh, when I was up to you there, what people don't understand, like the average person who just wants to, like you know, take a stab at someone they think is. You know super wealthy you are you're not exactly you have the castle on the grounds which you're responsible for and you get a leaky roof or whatever and there's like you know it, that's well, not, it's not like a, it's not like a leaky roof on a normal house that's like a hundred grand for you and yeah you know, and, and everybody adds an extra, and everybody adds an extra zero when they see you you know because when they roll up the driveway they're like oh ho, ho, you know yeah. an extra zero to my to my bill and look yeah. the thing is nobody wants to hear about privileged people complaining and I, neither do I want to even be a privileged person complaining. But it's difficult. It is difficult. And the, the thing is, it's, it's per perceptions are, are, are not always reality. And the thing yeah. is, there's, this is part of the problem with my film career is that I have to put a lot of my time into, into the other things that I do, like the, the environmental stuff, the, the management of, of, of trying to preserve a heritage estate. And then that leaves, you know, after after some some family obligations that leaves very little time to commit to to filmmaking yeah. um so you know unfortunately i am going to be a guy who's only going to knock out the odd film every year every so often which it means also that i have to put a lot more time and effort into get, getting each one to do something that i want but you see also the thing is nowadays filmmaking is changing if you look at appetites you know people are streaming people are doing things like that i there's an argument that there won't even be cinema in the future um, that people are people losing are, the art of storytelling, yeah, because they're just what like kids are watching unpacking videos. They're not even growing up, getting like watching a fairy tale or something. They're losing the exactly. whole art of well, there's that, but there's also the fact that short form is becoming so. People yeah. have such short attention spans that movie. Have you noticed? Look at the length of of a lot of the so-called horror movies on on Netflix. They're getting very short. In the yeah. old days, a typical movie would be ninety minutes. Now I'm starting to see movies at eighty-seven, eighty-five. 80 yeah. i've seen stuff at 70 and those yeah. are netflix movies you know so the movies are getting shorter you know even when i made the green sea the first thing people said to me is like it's too long and i'm like it's an hour and 45 minutes i'm like too long i'm like how long would you like me to make the movie and they said less than 90 minutes less than 90 minutes i mean it's look who said this? i mean I, I mean the sales agent the distributor everybody right. Okay. Nobody wants to watch a movie now anymore. People just want to get in and out, and they don't even. It's crazy because, you know, you know. Fair enough. Nobody else wants to watch the uh, a three-hour epic in black and white. Maybe that's a tough one for a lot of people. But an hour and forty minutes or an hour and forty. Exactly what you can do. Yeah, that's your next film. It should be like four hours and like 
totally just a trip out. Yeah. Yeah. But the Green Sea is one hour 40, which I don't even consider that long of a movie. Um, I, I mean, the original cut was three hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I managed to cut a, I managed to cut quite a lot out of it. But, um, but you know, I mean, like nowadays, even that, when they were still saying, even after we were selling it, they were still saying it's a bit long. Like, and so it was three hours of what, like more dream sequences and stuff? Or was there a No, there, it was a much more, there was much more going on. And the, the, the original script was about 110 pages. And there was a lot more surreal, like there was a lot more going on with the collector. There was a lot of go stuff going on with with general their relationship and how they meet as well. Because in the in the way we we made them meet in this one, it happens that she runs her over in the car. Where there's a, a little bit of a of a crossover that there's a it doesn't quite their relationship doesn't quite start from from dumping her at the at the at the, at the bus stop. There's a bit of like the girl comes back and watches her through the windows and stuff like that. And there's a sort of like, almost like a skulking around time before she invites her back in. You know what I mean? There was a lot of other things that were more subtle that were slowly building a kind of curiosity of what's going on here. Right. Um, but it just, it didn't translate on, on, on the page. It, it felt really good because it felt like they were really slowly pulling each other into their worlds. But on screen, people need to get to the point very quickly. And even the, the movie though, as it is, it's still a little bit too long in the first act, even now, I would say, but I just had very little to cut. And, and because some of the early stuff we were having, for example, the, that scene where they're with the garage, yeah, uh, that was a di actually disastrous scene. And I, I'll tell you a little story about that because you want to hear about all the tragedies that happened on the film. So yeah. we had one day to shoot all the garage scenes in one go, right? All of them. There were a few others that, that got edited out, but yeah. so, we had one day and it was in Mullingar, it was this private garage that a bunch of boy car racers operated. And um, we got the location and we arrived at location on time. And uh, we were ready. Every, we, had, we had gone through the location prior. We were supposed to move the cars and, and everything. And it was all supposed to be ready and, and copacetic. We had an amazing spot that we were going to shoot it in. The first problem was that we arrived there ready to go at 8 o'clock. There was nobody there to open the door. Yeah. So it got to 11 o'clock, 11.30, and the location guy was nowhere to be found. And he eventually turned up 11.30 because the owners never turned up, and the location guy was not on location. He decided to sleep in that day or whatever it was that he was doing. So we lost about two and a half, three hours on the start of the day, and we have to shoot, we have to finish for lunch union rules at this time. So we literally got the first bit of scening shot within an hour and a half. And when we got into the garage, they had not moved the cars that were supposed to be moved. So we had to change all our plans in which we were going to shoot uh, because we no longer were able to light the thing because we had, we had done pre-plans where the lights were going to go, where people were going to stand. All of that had to be chucked out. So I had to we completely reformulate that scene in five minutes um, with the cinematographer. And we that's why the, it's a little ropey, that particular scene. Um, because we literally had all these like subtle, subtle slides and all this stuff done, had to throw all that out and go handheld. Now, as it happens, we kind of had a similar idea to that anyway, but we had to really wing it. And subtle we had slides, now subtle slides that, so, what, so what does that even mean, subtle slides? I don't. Well, okay. slides because we we had these tracks that we were going to sort of like you know open the scenes with 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 uh, the camera sliding into 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 shot. So, for example, we had the the the, the trunk of the the of the car open and we the first scene was going to be a slide across and a pull focus to them sort of talking between her and the garage the oh, garage so 
And okay. so we, we just more subtle pacing to the scenes because right. the way it, it ended up now, we it pretty much hits you like a like a slam. Boom, we're right there in the in the garage now, and there's a middle of an argument going on. Again, right. you have to move with the with the punches, and because of the the fact that the, that scene no longer could have the build up, we had to, and it was also too long, so we had to like slice that scene in, and, and, and nobody wants to get. We want to get to the story, and the story is the relationship between the two girls. So I had to get there very quickly, but I had to establish the other things. So we had to, and and with the, it worked very well because with the character being so all over the place and so aggressive and, and volatile, the editing being like that and the movement of the camera being so um, so aggressive also added to the fact that she's all over the place. And I don't know if you noticed, if you watched the movie, the, the, the camera work is very aggressive at the beginning and it slowly tapers off and becomes less aggressive throughout the film. Um, and that really much signifies her, her growth throughout the film. But I mean, even that it was, it was pretty, it was pretty jarring at the beginning. And that's why a lot of people probably got a little put off, I think with those early scenes, um, because it is a very slow burning movie and, and there's a lot of subtleties put, put into it. And it takes a long time for you to kind of like, if you, in, to be honest with you, you probably would get a lot more out of it watching it a second time. You probably notice a lot more. Because initially people are just like, what's going on? I have no idea. There's a girl there. Her car's broken. Uh, there's another one there. What's wrong with that kid? Is she an alien? Is she? Why can't she eat pot noodles properly? You know. <laughs> I will say I didn't find it wasn't um, the way I the trailer I saw it to me made it seem like it was going to be slightly different than it was. It like I still liked it. It was great, but it was more of a drama than a horror. I thought it was going to be more like a. When I just saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be about witches or something. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I, I, uh, I robbed your money there. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was very good. But um, I just, no, it's not like I was disappointed or anything. I just. No, again, it's, it's, it's a weird one because people, people, again, because of me, they tend to put me in the horror genre. And my, all my background tends to be in horror. And I really used a lot of horror tropes in the movie. But to be honest, I wanted to try something that was different because I think the filmmaking is so hard and you have to put in so much. And like a movie like this, I was looking at it the other day. If you look at, look at the whole journey of this movie from, from like creating the script to shooting the movie, to getting the money, to, to editing the movie, and then finally delivering the movie, showing the movie and selling the movie, it's almost like four years of your life. Yeah, um, it's, it's four years is a, is a lot of a commitment and even a small movie has a similar journey. I mean, there, it's very rare you get a, a proper movie done, done properly. That's less than two or three years, because I mean, yeah. you, when you consider all of it, I mean, if you can make write a script in six weeks, you know, unbelievable, you're amazing, but I can't. <laughs> and uh, if you think you're going to edit a decent piece of editing in six weeks, well, fair play, you can edit something in six weeks. Is it going to be amazing? Well, Maybe you're a genius and you can do it, but I can't. Um, you edited, so there's you a lot of you, time. You, you're the one who edited it, right? You you did you did the editing so yourself. I think the original movie. Um, the original editor was a guy called Chris Gill, who's a very good friend of mine, and um, so he's the guy who cut Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh, really? So and he did a lot of other movies like Sunshine. He did uh, the Hotel Marigold. He's one of England's best editors, and he's a good friend of mine. I love the guy. Yeah. Um, but the problem was with this film, because of all the disasters, we were in a very limited contract with him. And his contract ran out, and we had a three-hour movie in black and white. 
because originally right. so what happened was originally the movie was going to be in color yeah and we had a disaster and we had a very disastrous lighting crew who were really let's just say there were more lights catching fire than illuminating the actors <laughs> um not a great group of guys in terms of lighting they destroyed the the, the set they would just sit on things and they would break them it was a disaster uh, and my cinematographer said to me, "Is like, can we kill them?" And I said, "No, we can't kill them. This is a, a, a weird. This is not Russia." And and then he said to me, uh, "Well, can we at least fire them?" And I'm like, "We'll never get another lighting crew." And he goes, "Right. So, would you consider making the movie in black and white? Because I can maybe make this work in two tone." Oh, God! Really? So was that the thing? I mean, he said he's 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 very shoot shoot from the hip Russian. I mean, if if you've ever spent any time with Russians, they can be oh, a little yeah. bit sharp oh, wow. yeah. um we, we irish are very polite you know we kind of say well you know maybe we could we could give them another go and if it didn't work maybe we could you know find someone to help that would have been the irish approach but yeah. russia no no we, we should bury them in the forest you know <laughs> the useless people <laughs> I love it, yeah. I love it. um but anyway so the thing is it was a disaster so we kind of saw the movie and at one we, we had shot the beach scenes and they were great and the black and white Beach scenes looked fantastic. Actually, it looked like an old 1960s Japanese movie. So we thought, well, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, it would be very in your face. Um, so we tried it originally in black and white, and it just did not work. Um, there was something throughout when the film was edited, just something that didn't work. Apart from the fact that the film's called The Green Sea and it's in black and white, would have been a you know would have been a disaster. Yeah. But in the end, we tried. We went back to color afterwards because we saw that there was enough there that we could work with and bring it back. Right. Um, and that was how the whole movie, so it went through a, a whole transition, but to, anyway, to cut a long story short, cause I'm rambling. The, the, when, when the editor left, it was three hours. It was boring. It was okay, but it was, it was long. It had a lot of story, but nobody's going to watch a three hour black and white movie. That's not made by a genius. And I, <laughs> as much as I like to tell myself in the mirror that I'm a genius, I <laughs> most certainly am not. Um, well, you're not bad. You're not bad at all. So, well, we'll we'll take not bad, but definitely not. I'm no, um, I'm no Tarkovsky. So let's. Well, let's who, be yeah, that'd be really. Yeah, I mean, that's Tarkovsky. So he gets away with a three-hour black and white movie. Nobody else is going to buy my black. I think and white you could, if you didn't have these pitfalls and limit and financial limitations. I'd say you could go go. You could be heading in that way for sure if you could totally do what you wanted. And um, yeah. Like you, I'm very excited to hear that you're working on another one. Um, you sound, yeah, we're actually working. We're right. actually working on two because I've got one that I'm working on this moment, and I'm actually going to rehash the the origami one because I think we can do that again. We're just going to do it differently. Um, we'll we'll probably go for something a little bit more minimalist because what what really interests me about these movies, I love genre, but what I really like is characters, and I love to tell stories about especially uh, your the non conventional characters. You know, and I like to shine light in places that people don't generally like to look. And that's why I kind of wanted to, I mean, if you look at the Simone in this movie, I mean, she's a fairly unconventional, Hollywood would never really make a character like that. You know, a, ch a, a child beaten, uh, alcoholic death metal person. Yeah, is you, not snuck, a, you snuck not in all the metal. I liked, how you, I, liked how, I liked how you snuck in all the metal bits, just there's metal playing in the background or there's. Well, again, it was it was sort of her background. There was a lot more in the original script. There was a lot more to do with that because she was, you know, we would get images of, of her doing stuff, music videos, things like that. So we could see where the the aggressiveness and the, uh, you know, I was very influenced by um, 
you know, Gall, who is a black metal uh, musician, and his whole dynamic of being this kind of like very over the top uh, character. And I kind of wanted to do something like that, transitioning in her dreams, having the the kind of like the the aesthetic of 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 the of the heavy metal put into the these these character and and uh, drama moments. Because when you, when you're dreaming, you see multiple stories, and and these kinds of images would have been really powerful. Unfortunately, those were some of the things we had to cut out of the movie simply because those were, you know, they were the low-hanging fruit that could be cut. Um, And unfortunately, I didn't get to use the aesthetic as much as I would have liked. Uh, I would have loved to see Catherine Isabel in Corpse Paint. You know, that would have been really cool. Yeah. John, John, there is a real, John's a real expert in the, in the, in the uh, black metal. No, John, would you not call yourself an expert in black? Or would you, are you an expert in weird industrial noise metal? You're an expert in many things. Oh, no, I, I. I paid I paid a lot of attention to the soundtrack, so I was, I was kind of really keen to see um, at what point would you have decided that you would have like got. Uh, so I know there was there was a lot of music from Invictus Productions happened to be on the soundtrack. I know that on a lot of the interludes, because it was kind of presented in some ways like a, a vignette, that some music I think from uh, from the Bogs of Algishka, the industrial group, was used as well. So. I was kind of interested to see whether that came as an idea before or whether well, it was an afterthought. And No, interesting enough, I'll tell you, originally the person who was pegged to do the soundtrack was a guy called Justin K. Broderick uh, of, of a band called Godflesh. Godflesh. And, and he, did a, he did another band called Yezu. And I'm a, I think Justin is probably one of the greatest musicians of our time. Um, He's another genius. Um, but the thing is, is that we worked together. We originally had it. He was he had the script. He was interested in doing it. We had sort of started, but then the, the dates, because of the delays in the film, it didn't quite work out. And then he he had some uh, some issues because he was going into work with a bunch of other people, and it just didn't work. So in the end, we had to we had to we had to um, split the contract and move on. Unfortunately, because of, of because of uh, those issues, which I was really disappointed because I mean I, I mean. I would have made a, a movie with a, an idol of mine. Um, what I liked about him, particularly in what he was able to do, is he was able to bring these industrial, very aggressive tones and mix these sort of harmonies that really would have worked with the contrasts. Um, interesting enough, I, I've always tried to grab musicians from different movies. That Japanese kind of style one that I was telling you about, originally for the soundtrack of that, we were talking to a guy called Merzbaum. I don't know if you've ever heard of Merzbaugh, yep. the Japanese noise of course, artist. Of now, I was thinking of trying to get incorporate Merzbaugh with somebody else and kind of do something like a joint thing. Because what I love about um, Merzbaugh is his, his, his noises are very aggressive. And if you, you contrast that with the harmonies, you could create something very dynamic and very, you know, and counterbalancing that with nature and using these industrial sounds would have been very, very cool to try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, something that is a talking point, because again, that's those kinds of nobody's getting these people to do things like this. And that's the problem. I would love to see like really taking people taking these soundtracks and going very far into the deep end. Um, yeah. I, I don't think the closest thing that I think yeah. one of the closest examples I can think of in terms of what people might categorize as industrial noise music or that kind of milieu is um the, I think it's the guy who does Lost Mod. Now, I think he doesn't figure in movie soundtracks so much as a composer, but I think a lot of his money on the side 
is made as a sound designer within yeah. uh, the Hollywood industry. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, I, I don't know if you if you if you watch that movie. And the problem is, I'm not sure where you saw the movie. If you saw it on Amazon Prime, there's a bit of an issue with the. I mean, if the the VOD release of the movie isn't actually what we gave them, and we had a problem with the release of the movie, really? and there's a bit of there's happen? a bit of phase. There's a that's the sound on the on the on the released version of the movie is not what we gave them. Unfortunately, there was a mix up with the distributor and they put up some something so there's a bit of phasing and like some of the phone calls sound like weird weird effects um okay. that's not what we had we, we we that's not what we gave them unfortunately there was a glitch and that's that's what ended up on the on the youtube and and typical stuff with distributors they don't particularly want yeah. to uh to uh to change it it's very expensive and amazon can be very difficult and, and youtube can be very difficult so we're trying our best to kind of have it swapped out hopefully shortly in the next month and thankfully our distributor is actually pretty cool they they, they kind of like understood that that it's 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 detrimental to the movie uh but it you know still a whole lot of jumping through hoops to get it all done you know especially after the movie's been released um and did, you, did you ever try to get it on the netflix or any of that um you see how it works with netflix is netflix has its has its group that they supply them and the group that we're with supply amazon like they they right. do a lot with amazon prime so they have like you know long they have long relationships with them they just so it's like like one of the, it's the same with with um apple has its own people that kind of like they, they deal with um it would, it would be cool to be on netflix but to be honest with you i'm not entirely sure the green sea is necessarily a netflix movie i mean i i'm trying to picture the people who watch netflix i can't picture them watching the green sea i'm not saying that the people who watch amazon prime are necessarily going to watch the green sea but they have a bigger library there's more people kind of using it probably yeah. Yeah. um but where was well, i, I lost my train of thought there but but the thing is going back to music it's very interesting because you have a lot of very talented musicians who are doing stuff and um and there is a difficulty don't get me wrong because just because you can write good score uh good scores or good um tracks it's very different when you're trying to write when you write something that has a lot of mood to being able to write something that has a mood that's going to enhance film and that's a real tricky thing to get the right balance because not every musician can do that because remember when you're a director i got to direct the music as well no that that's not in sync with the cuts i need something that's going to help enhance my edit right and so a composer or a musician a person who does score is there to facilitate the picture yeah it's very hard to tell a musician who's used to writing without any kind of restrictions now you're going to produce music to the, to this and you just got to make it work yeah. it's very hard to, to to do that trend some people can do it like trent reznor has no problem um yeah. you know some some people have no problem but others it's it's trickier than it actually sounds and it's very hard for a director to tell a, a musician who's perhaps like i said a genius maybe or, or not someone who's who's like you know it would be difficult i think to even someone like mersbaugh if i was to tell mersbaugh you know look this doesn't quite work can you put a bit of this and this apart from the fact that he's japanese i don't know how good his english is we we, we corresponded by email um yeah. oh yeah no i i still would love to work with him i think if i could put him with somebody else and mix his harmony his distortions with somebody who has a bit of harmony especially perhaps a singer maybe a female voice we could create something really really abstract sound wise mm -hmm. because one of the inspirations that i'd like to do is uh, i don't know if you know the movie performance with Mick Jagger by Nicholas Ray. Sorry, Nicholas Ray, Nicholas Rogue, I beg your pardon. Um, it's one of my favorite, 
it's one of my favorite movies and because of what they do with the sound that movie is crazy sound like the sound is so abrasive so in your face it's it's it becomes a character and that's how i treat sound and even the green sea you were talking about troubles well typically when a, a movie gets made right so the director normally doesn't spend that much time in the audio studio yeah. um the typically what happens is they give the movies finished they cut the edit they they hand it to the audio guys they do they clean up all the bumps and distortions on the microphone they 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 clean up some of the hissing and, and bits and pieces then they they get some assistants who put some of the sound effects in there and then they do up bits and pieces and and you know they get the the folly do you know what the folly is uh, the guy with with the watermelons splashing all the sound effects all that kind of stuff oh foley foley yeah yeah. so and all all the fabric that's the big thing like all the fabric sounds all the doors and creaks all that gets done and then it gets laid on on the timeline and then they put all the sound effects and all the cleaned audio all the, the distortions off the voices um and then you get to the sound mixer and the sound mixer takes all that and then he sits with the director for a week or two and then they mix the movie and then that's when they put all the effects and stuff like that right, right. that's how you'd normally do it that's not how i did it and that's right. not how i do it um so first off, when I when the sound when it went to sound, we did it at a place called Promenade, and it was a small production company that closed down in in um, in Dunleary. We got the sound guy, and I wanted to sit in from day one, and in the and the sound guy um, what couldn't quite understand what why I'd want to sit down and listen to him cleaning bumps off the sound, um, and this was a, a thing that. I wanted to do so i ended up spending about 15 weeks with the sound guy doing everything from fixing effects a lot uh cleaning sound doing all that stuff because i wanted to be involved in every aspect of it in fact we put so many sound effects and 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 things going on in the sound distortions in the sound there are 78 soundtracks that's uh, lines of sound in that film so that you've got you've got seventy eight tracks on your whatever it is seventy eight soundtracks. Right. There, there was there was actually my my the guy who did the sound um, is a guy called Liam Yellen. He's very very good. He did a a, a, move, a movie called the uh, the Siege of Jadaville, which is a war movie about the Irish guys in, in Africa. I don't know if you've heard it. it's on Netflix. Um, it's a big war movie. War movies typically have the most sound effects on them generally. Right. Uh, war and, and action movies tend to. Um, he said that we had almost the same amount of tracks as that film. And this is a drama, you know, right. but the thing is I'm fascinated by sound. There were so many like subtleties. That's why I was a bit irritated when, when it came out and there was like phasing issues and stuff like that, because I'm so over the top with my sound um, and I'm a hi-fi enthusiast. So, you know, I'm the kind of weirdo who spends loads of time putting things and lifting things and, and tweaking cables around just to change the sound that much. I'm that fanatical about sound. Well, you are um, the, uh, you are the death metal Baron. I am the death metal Baron. So, um, so, but I, we spent so long doing things. We distorted and we created a lot of sounds ourselves. So we would get microphone, like contact mics and we grind metal together. There was a lot of sounds like whenever the collector comes along, um, there's a sound that you hear, which is a kind of like a circly kind of grinding sound. We yeah. were using a contact mic on a grill and we were just grinding across it with a, with a, with a, um, a speaker dome, a speaker, um, a soft dome tweeter on the other side of it. And we were grinding it together in a circular manner, which was creating that kind of grinding sound, which whenever he comes, we, we have that sound appearing. Yeah. And same with, with other things like, like running across 
metal grinding on in the Dunleary Harbor. We went there, recorded the, like they have all these like things for tying the boats up. We were grinding the metal together, and we were putting all these tracks together, and we were actually warping them full of um, full of effects and raising the volume, lowering the volume. So you have these constant things, which sounds a bit bizarre. And if you yeah. listen to it on a decent system, you'll hear all these like little intricacies because again, I have a very um, I have a big enthusiasm for sound. So music, the, the music was good too. I really liked the music in it. I thought it was very, yeah. uh, a very effective kind of sensey, uh, you know. Yeah, and I got a, a local guy for that who's worked with me on every other film since. So it, it shows you probably I should never, never gone beyond who I was working with. But uh, yeah. he's a fantastic, fantastic guy called Tar Darius McGann, and we started together. Um, and he ended up, I gotta be honest with you, as, as much as it would have been nice to work with, with Justin, I mean, he, he smashed it out of the park. There was a lot of variety in that movie, you know, and, and each, yeah. each soundtrack he's done with me has always been different. There's nothing there that's quite repetitive. So I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I know. I thought it was really good. I, I really noticed it and I was like, oh, that's, it's fit. It's fitting. It's yeah. Yeah, it was good. But, um, you, you were saying, so you have a full length other feature you did, do you? And I, that I haven't seen that before this one. No, 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 no. This was the oh. first one. Um, okay, so I had a short one you... that, did, that did really, really well. Um, oh, that was the last oh. one, and and now we have the next one coming, which hopefully will be next year. Oh, really? That's good. Well, I mean, we'll we'll hopefully be getting it shot and, and edited next year, which means you'll probably won't see it till two thousand twenty-four. Okay. And what's what's it, what's it about? Can you tell us? Or? Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so. Uh, it's it's taken a couple of ideas together, but it's it's basically a sort of fairy tale ish horror, um, like like that, like the Green Sea kind of was. Again, I suppose if you like, so so more of the same. Um, it's about this this uh, runaway who in encounters a a old blind man who seems like this his great sweet uncle and and befriends him when he's uh, when he's sort of living in the woods and having on on the down and out. And the old man convinces him that he should go home and not 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 run away and etc. And you know he helps him out, and it turns out that he it's all a trick, and he lures him into the into the woods uh, where he he traps him in his house, and he's actually doing uh, he's a bit of a sort of shaman, and he's doing things uh, in the woods, and he creating um, creating he's digging up these creatures from the woods, which he is uh, force feeding the child child the, the kid. Uh, to basically pay homage to something that's in the woods in a, in a, in a hole. So it's, it's going to be one of those kind of things. It sounds really, yeah, very creepy. It's, it's a bit Lovecraftian. So, um, oh, nice. I, I think, I think I need to go back to the horror world, but I, what I really liked about it was the concept that we went through a sort of almost a, you know, it starts as a coming of age kind of story that turns very, very dark, very, very quickly. And it deals with 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 ghosts and and things like that. And it, it again, I would say it, you could probably uh, say that there's a bit of Dunsany influence there, a little bit nastier than maybe my great grandfather would have perhaps mm -hmm. had gone. But it is again, if you boil it down to the fundamentals, what the story is is that this this shaman type guy. It does sound like love, something. He's in love with a with with a character who lives with him, who's one of yeah. the co the co. Um, prisoners or type people. And the fact is he's doing all these things to, to satisfy basically a curse. And, you know, but the problem is, is that he's doing it for love, but the, the person he loves no longer loves him. And okay. so there's this delicate balance where they're just living continuously surviving this, this, the, the, the curse when they really just want to pass on to the next stage of existence. Right. And the creature that lives 
in a place called the uh, the uh, revolving door. Hmm. It's gonna be mad. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. It's gonna be another mindfuck of a movie. Nice, nice, um, nice. Man. Without going into details more than that, but it, it is very. It's gonna be really like. I would say it's gonna be hard to follow in terms of like like what's happening and who, who's going where, but it's definitely gonna be one of those type of lynchy type movies where where it's definitely not gonna get funded. I'm sure. <laughs> well, your uh, your great granddad's stories were kind of like that too. That's why, like, he's totally unique. There's no one else quite like him. But you read his stories, and it, it takes you on a. It can get it can get kind of scary, and then it's more like straight up fairy tale, and then it goes somewhere else and ends like in a way you just just yanks you out of the story and like it's just not like anything else. It's a totally unique thing like that. Is what it, I remember it's weird. Before. It's weird because like you know when I was younger, I never really should we say I had a sort of resistance to be even compared to. But you know what? I've come to realize that it, it, I suppose it must be something in, in the air or something in the castle, or I don't know what it is. It, I think it makes people think a certain way. And I think my great grandfather and I definitely have a certain mindset that works. And the way our brains are programmed kind of go is in a certain direction because I won't, I won't even compare myself in terms of ability, but there's certainly, I think, a lot of ideas that get touched upon that my great-grandfather had that I seem to find myself falling into as well. Yeah, well, that's great. That's gene genealogical then. I mean, even yeah, what, you said of the, what you said of the movie does sound kind of like something he would write. He probably, You're right, though. It wouldn't be quite as dark in a... He wouldn't have a maybe creature in a pit kind of thing. But, but then again, I'd say that's also a question of, of time because nowadays you have, to, you have to escalate. What was horror back then, you know, were ghosts yeah. and, and things nowadays you kind of almost want something monstrous you know especially we're living in very monstrous times you know there's a lot of there's a lot of and this is the thing and and i write tend to write things in metaphors and there's a, there's without going into too much detail because it's still in the script form right there, there's a metaphor here of trying to to hold on to something from the past that you can't really continue to hold on and you're willing to to go through the storm for an idea, even though you, your mind knows that it's no longer viable, you know, yeah. and that's the idea. And, and it has a lot to do with what my life is here and trying to fight for something that, that perhaps not everybody even believes in anymore, but you, you go through the motions and that's the, and that's why I'm looking at this and why I brought back this, uh, this book, the, the Edward Hopper book, right. you know, it, that's why it's such an influence for me to look at his paintings because you see how, Two, two characters who were once perhaps together no longer even have the same emotions together and they're sort of at odds. But again, in a subtle way, they, they, there's, there's baggage in the room, but nobody's speaking, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's how you sort of, I elaborate these ideas because I look at those pictures and I think to myself, yes, those are, those are sequences, those are scenes, that's how they present each other. And then the story writes itself. Because yeah. once you have the themes and what the fun, what I write is the fun. I always have the idea, right? I'm gonna make a monster movie in the woods. Great, <laughs> but that's not what the story is about. That's just the window dressing. What the right. story is about is something has to be far deeper than that. And that's what I tried to do with the Green Sea. What I'm gonna try and do with this, and what I'll do with the next movie as well, because I think that's what I'm comfortable with using using uh, tropes to kind of within a, a sort of idea of something that is somewhat philosophical, perhaps. Yeah. or or um, metaphorical in my life. And I, and I think that's, for, for me, it's my style. I, I don't know if people are necessarily going to continue to like it or whatever. Maybe I got lucky with the Green Sea a little bit and people sort of, it was palatable, but maybe this won't be. But the thing is, is that in the end, if you're going to dedicate four years, five years, three years to a, anything, 
Yeah. It has to be important to you. It has to be a story that you feel you have to tell. Because in the end, let's be honest, what's the most amazing thing about any artist or any filmmaker or even musician here? It's not, it's, it's the identity of the musician or the filmmaker or whatever that comes through the work. And that's what we, we, what separates the generic from the ones that really are notable. And yeah. we all should pursue to try and be notable, even if it's not, you know, even if we don't succeed, there's no problem with not succeeding. There's only a problem with not trying to succeed. Well, even, yeah, and often you may not succeed, but then, you know, down the road, you'll be recognized. Someone will, say, you know, trends but will change. Beyond, beyond recognition, it's also about self-recognition. You know, in the yeah. end, you know, what you get out of something, I mean, you're, you're not in my head, so you can't really know where all these things were coming from. But I watched The Green Sea and, and it's interesting because a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers, they hate their work. They don't like it after a while. For me, I look at my work and, you know, there was a time where I hated this movie. I couldn't really even look at it. Made me feel nauseous kind of looking at it. But it's, you know, I, I, when I look at it now, especially when it's in its right form, yeah, I, I love it. I kind of sit there and I think, you know what, I can totally, I totally remember why I, I wanted to do this story. And that's yeah, very important. I feel sorry for filmmakers or artists of, of any kind who can't, take a step back stop trying to impress and just see their own work and say you know what i did that for a reason that's yeah. very sad for me when i hear stories that people can't do it and i know a lot of people like that they, they can't watch their own movie they can't go to the cinema and watch their own movie yeah well i i'll tell you i like i didn't know you know i didn't know what to expect i sort of like you know when you're going to watch a film not because you decide to yourself because like you know a friend of yours or, or someone you know has made it and you're you know you've got to watch it I did. It was like a lot better than I, I thought it was going to be. I, I thought it was re really very good. You did a good job. No, thank you. I was at, like uh, coming from it, you know, totally not knowing anything about it, kind of view and not knowing what to expect at all. Because like, I know yeah. it was your own. You know, I know it was your first, you know, your first film you made yourself. Yeah. And it, it, it's got low. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's got lots of weak points in it, you know, things that are immature in terms of storytelling. But the thing is, what's, what evolves, what I've always been so surprised is how much your work evolves so quickly with filmmakers. Because, I mean, I personally know that every movie I've done has changed, like I've leveled up very, very quickly. Um, I know a lot of people who've made movies and they don't seem to level up as fast. They've made a lot more than I have, but they seem to have been able, it's been harder for them to, to, to should we say, get in the right, they don't seem to be able to critique their films. I know exactly where the problems are in my film. I mean, I, I could write a thesis on what's wrong with that film. Well, but at no, the same so time, now when you do this next one, you're that much further ahead in what you're avoiding those mistakes you had, right? Yeah, but, but you know, they'll make I'll make new ones. And maybe oh. some of them I'll make again, particularly with script, because I'm not much of a writer. Um, it's very hard for me to, to write things with structure. And, and you can tell that from, from the Green Sea, there's some structural issues that could be, could be argued. Um, Again, it doesn't fit certain conventions. It's it's very it's very heavy in the third act. It's it's a bit heavy in the first act. It's a little thin in the second act. Okay. All fair comments, but uh, but the thing is, is that so so structure is a bit a, a bit difficult for me. That's why why some of the abstract and surrealism works for me. It helps with my the fact that my brain is so difficult to to, to put things together. So yeah. using 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 imagery or using. Um, the surreal actually helps me tell my story in a more coherent, palatable way. Otherwise, right. it would just seem a bit odd the way yeah. the way things work. Um, 
I haven't figured out a way to work around that yet, but surrealism is a good way to hide it, hide your hide your blemishes. It's like really good makeup for really ugly people. Can you say that nowadays? You're probably not even allowed to say that sort of stuff anymore. I know. I don't know if anyone listens to this podcast who's uh you know of the uh, sensitive type who might get offended. Apologies if in advance if any offense oh, was made. Oh fuck them. Fuck them all. Don't worry about that. Yeah, so I, I'm old fashioned. I, I I shoot from the hip. I'm from County Mead. Yeah, ugly, uh, ugly fat people, whatever. But the new yeah. one sounds like it's going to be uh, like effects heavy, more effects heavy. So you'll no. Well, be... you know the thing is, we, we I'm I love makeup. I'm I'm a big fan of makeup. So I think we're going to go a lot with makeup and a lot of with if I can a little bit of puppetry. Um, oh, I'm really going to cool. try and stay away from the from from digital. Not because I have anything wrong with digital. I love digital effects. I'm one of the few filmmakers who thinks that CG is a good thing. Um, right. I hate it. Yeah. Whatever, I hate whatever it. works to tell the story. But, um, but the thing is, I think with this one, I, I, I'm going to try and go again, very dramatic with the lighting. Uh, we're going to go very, very, very stylistic with the with the visuals because that's what I like. There will absolutely be lots of epic nature shots because that's what I do. And uh, again, you'll probably yeah. see a very, very unusual looking movie that doesn't quite look right because that's I think the things that I like to. Those are my things that I enjoy. And I enjoy them in other people's movies too. So is it going to be a little swamp creature like Yoda or something like? Up, up, up no, it's it's or... it's it's. I mean, we're talking more like worms and fungus because oh. I, I'm obsessed with. Uh, you know, I get when I come up with an idea, I, I get obsessed with certain themes. So, um, with origami, for example, I folded origami every single day, and I read about it, and I read about the philosophical things about it. I read about the 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 metaphors that were used about. I, I become obsessed about certain themes. Um, even even with, with the Green Sea, I got into vinyl because of the Green Sea. I never had a vinyl player before, but I needed to, you know, if you like, live the mind of the character. And she plays a lot of vinyl. Now, as it happens, that movie, you don't really see that much vinyl in the movie. But originally, there was a lot of time spent with her just sitting there listening to records. And while all these things were happening, yeah. unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't end that way with, with the final cut. But, you know, I got into vinyl because of that. It was not because I wanted vinyl. I was certainly envious of her reel to reel that you kept showing. Uh, oh yeah, that was very very cool. That that one, yeah. You won't yeah. see too many of those around. Oh fuck! I wish I had one. No, I'd, <laughs> I'd be great. Yeah, I believe they're expensive units and expensive to get the tape though. Uh, yeah, and I think they're they're you won't find them very easily either. They're not that easy to find a good one that's actually working. Was that one working? Where, where's is yeah? It was working? actually. It was it was actually working. Um, we actually borrowed it from uh, uh, a guy called Niall Shorthall, who's um, his family basically are sound people, and they install studios. And he's just a big fixer of of all these kinds of electronics. He's got a giant, giant, I don't know, sort of man shed full of full of equipment and things that you'd everything you could possibly want in audio. <laughs> from all like different our, that reminds me, John and I have a friend. He lives in Wicklow, and he's got a his well his his parents have a big barn. It has horses in it, but it's also got every imaginable like you'd swear it's got like you know, whatever King Solomon's gold or something. If I say anything I'm looking for, he just goes rummaging through the back, and he'll lift up a uh, a chest, and it's got like you know a hundred. Yeah, I was looking for one of these actually, uh, an old fashioned uh, what do you call them again, like screw thing. And he just had he's like, oh look at this. He opened up a chest in the back, and there's like a hundred antique ones just sitting there like. <laughs> Wow, he's got chat. He's not like it's like a almost like an Amazon warehouse of just shelves of like motor, like uh, b motors from boats and like I don't 
anything. But sorry, that's so, so your friend is basically a hoarder. Well, that's not. It's like his whole family yeah. or something. But uh, yeah, John, how would you describe it? It's like a magical shed. You just go into it. You know, there's guns over there. There's bows and arrows, horses, musical instruments, weights. I don't know <laughs> anything. I love people like that. Well, Those I'd are call, like. What did you say? I'd call it a bit of a treasure trove. It's, it was a while yeah. since I was down there. Now. They'd be really lucky as well in the sense that they don't have to live on the water grid and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's ah, oh, it's an idyllic place, and to have all that stuff as well is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's proper Aladdin's cave. I mean, you, but yeah. you're a whole other story. You've got, you're like, oh, there's a uh, letter from Alistair Crowley over here, and uh, there's a stuff oh, yeah. Here. I, I can relate, and, and we're and we're we're hoarders too, except I hoard for hundreds of years, which is even worse. Almost a thousand years worth of hoarding, yeah. Yeah, we we still have like in the house, we still have weird stuff like weird bathtubs and stuff like that from like you know mad stuff. In fact, there's really? there's we found one that's absolutely like it's it's this kind of weird shape. It almost looks like something you'd have in an in an asylum. Um, okay. And of course, I'm going to use it in the next movie because I have to invent oh. a scene that somebody's got to be in a bath because oh, really? you cannot because it's it's weird. It looks like something you'd see in Aliens or something, right? And I was thinking like, there's no way I'm going to not use that in something. I've got to use it for something. So yeah. I, I I've got to write a weird, strange, very uncomfortable bath scene. Yeah. yeah. In this I mean, weird shape, because especially shapes, anything that's that's uh, that's proportionally imbalanced. Is going to look fantastic when you when you put a bit of light on it or or take a bit of light away from it, um, yeah. because that's what's very important for me. I look for shapes and things and patterns and textures. Um, yeah. and, and funny enough, I start collecting things before I even I even have fully sussed out the idea. And I use a I take things and it's I'm very bad for it because I start grabbing things that you know sometimes I'm probably never going to use. And we're talking about crap here sometimes, but I love <laughs> textures. I like if I find pieces of material or wall, or wallpaper. You know, I mean, I start grabbing all kinds of that. I, I'm, I'm, I get weird that way. Well, yeah, that's inspiration, though. If you have that stuff around, you can say, oh, look, I'll put that in the movie. And... Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, in fact, stuff. all the stuff in the movie, you know, the, all that stuff, the majority of the stuff in her office, that's all stuff from my office. You know what I mean? They got the weird, you got the weird Asian theater masks. You've got like, you've got all the weird, you've got the white rabbit. You've got all that mad stuff that I've found around here. You know, it's all her entire office. Everything in that house was pretty much taken from from my my garage there. I thought there was things. That's why I asked if it was like a section of your house. It looked almost like yeah, certain parts of it. I thought yeah. No, when we when we got into that house, that house was completely empty. We literally stuffed it. I'm very very focused on production design. It's one of my most focused things. Um, yeah. In fact, the, when I was hiring the, the the production designer, he had never worked with me before. And he basically came as a courtesy to the producer to kind of hear me out, but he had no intention of doing the film because he thought there wasn't really enough enough money for it. But he had me rant and rave at him for about an hour and a half, and he realized that he, there's no way he's ever going to meet another psychopath like this on a low-budget film set who's going to basically go completely bananas on the production design. Because um, he, he does a lot of, like, you know, big TV and stuff. And, and that's, let's be honest, it's a lot of painting by numbers, a lot of those shows they pay well, but it's boring, you know, for a production designer, right? We're going to get some Ikea furniture. We'll put a potted plant in the corner and yada, yada, yada. Right. Yeah. But then suddenly I, I was talking about shapes and lines and, and I started our conversation with lines and shapes and, and, and 
shooting things through frames and he he's his eyes were spinning by the end of the conversation um <laughs> and i had even come with sketches of how i wanted the floor to look and how every the lines had to point in this direction and it was really like it was really like it sounded like a lunatic talking to oh, autism, yeah. um, but it was the extreme attention to detail and and he was like right you know what i was good i actually i was gonna say no to this film i'm gonna do it and look it was and he to this date he said it's his favorite film he's ever done so really oh, yeah cool. well i mean from a, a production design perspective i mean he had a lot of really good stuff there i mean it was a lot of really amazing stuff he brought to it um and i would say as good as my my drawings and my 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 madness was i mean he um he was amazing at really just c cultivating that and he built stuff like for example that whole that whole garage scene where they're chasing the the men or chasing the girl i mean that looks crazy in there yeah 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 it is crazy where was it or did you uh, we, we have a, we have a we have a, a farmyard that has a bit of stuff there and we, he basically completely he spent weeks over the over the christmas doing that he actually came off the clock to do that stuff because he was so into it he was like we were trying to find a warehouse that like a like a normal warehouse for her to be sleeping in and then he was like let's do it in there because it's got textures we've got all kinds of stuff and and you know yeah i got confused i knew it was a garage because it was a car but at one point it almost looks like a cave or something and then like yeah it will actually it's an old farmyard where we used to store the timber but he got right. bits of he started taking bits of chain. We had bits of metal. We had we had weird pots, lights. There was like bits of wood. There was plywood. There was like an old bit of of, of uh, one of those like uh, what do you call it? Those uh, mesh things for for gardening. He he just stuffed it full of stuff. There was loads of shapes, and that's one of the things we did with the light as well. Because I work really heavily with lighting and and production design. We actually positioned. Uh, and one of the programs that was a big inspiration for me was actually the X-Files. And the first few seasons of the X-Files, they didn't have a lot of money. And if you see, there's one scene where they're going through the darkened kind of like mine or whatever with Mulder and Scully. And they were using, they didn't have enough money to properly light it. So what they did is they got the torches and they positioned bits of like uh, tin foil in certain areas. So what they do is he would just shine the light and it would sh hit the, hit the, uh, the, the reflective surface and it would actually just cast light which would give you these like really dramatic shadows we yeah. did the same except we didn't do it with 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 reflectors we did it actually with things in the foreground so we use things like chains pieces of wood and if you actually really slowly watch it you see these kind of crazy shapes that mimic some of the things actually are in the house yeah mm. um but that's what i mean like that's the kind of stuff that when i when i get going really crazy that's the kind of stuff i throw on people let's do so we want to make this shape so when her eyes and even the turtles like if you look very carefully in this in the frames there's little small turtles like and gets like little scratch turtles in the in the in the wood above her like yeah. the symbols of the turtles that. are everywhere in right. the in the movie and even the uh even the in the film we actually even had the collector's glasses positioned in one of one of the scenes uh, in the cupboard, right. you didn't even see it. You know, that, I mean, everything in the movie was always positioned in the frame. Right. And did you make the little ceramic turtle at the end, the little one that she? Uh, Actually, I got that off an old lady in Portugal when I was when I was visiting, and there was this oh, little right. old lady, and she was sitting on the side of the road, and I I was very obsessed about turtles at the time, um, and because I was in the middle of writing this movie, and uh, so I bought the turtle off this little old lady who was sitting on the side of the road. And uh, and yeah, and that's part of how the story created.
um, yeah, because nice. of my, nice my obsession with the concept of the turtle. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, look, yeah. and because I was in Portugal, there ended up being a beach at the end. <laughs> nice, perfect. It all comes together. So, but like, are you? You? I just want to say for your next film, I want to ask are you. So you feel pretty well set up. Like, what do you need to go to the Irish Film Board again and all that? Or, um, well, we're we're gonna we're gonna try again because you know it, it's also continuity. I, I suspect they probably it'll be probably be a bit too much for them. And uh, but look, you know the thing is, it's different different people now, so it's gonna be. I'm hoping I'm hoping that we can collaborate because it would be fantastic to have some support more as well because. You know they, they do do good work don't get me wrong they're they're actually they're good at what they do um the thing is i'm a little bit left field i'm hoping that the green sea has as can show that i'm not that i'm not just mad that i can do something that has a beginning middle and an end yeah and i'm hoping that if i get the right person in there uh we could do something kind of interesting uh i don't want to do something that's really exploitation or something because i i kind of like that's not what i really want there's people who do really nasty movies who about about it's not what I want. It's the symbolism of, of things that I really fascinated by, and yeah. it's it's the concept of, of the monstrous and and the beauty kind of like you know, and that's always been something that I'm fascinated by. The the, the monstrous of the dark with the with the with the beauty of the eloquence of the environment. Those are the things that I want to capture in my movies, and um, yeah. and I'm hoping that they can find something in that, and perhaps they can understand it or at least take a chance on it. And if they don't, I'm going to do it anyway and just do it for less. Right. So, you know, you know, you would know you're the person who knows what you can and can't do what, what well, you have to. Or... The, the idea is we're going to do. We're just we're just better at doing what we do. So I'm hoping we, we, we get the support. But if we don't get the support, we'll do it all here. Uh, I'll spend ages making some sets if I have to. No problem. You know, I'll, I'll get obsessed yeah. about shapes and other weird stuff. At the moment, it's 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 uh, certain painters that I'm really into. Edward Hopper, you're going to have right. to now spend some no, time no. looking at Edward Hopper paintings. Uh, and then you'll uh -huh. probably see you'll see where I ripped it, the poor man off. Okay. Well, I mean, ripped him off. This that's, you know, so many people use painters in that way. Like you look at uh, Star Wars. I was every time I see a Ralph McQuarrie painting, the guy who did the concept art for the original Star Wars. I mean, the scenes are his paintings exactly, and he just yeah. like came up with those. I think so. He's fifty percent of the Star Wars creativity was this guy, this painter. Yeah. Yeah. Major, I think, yeah. and I'm not surprised because I mean, like I said, if you it's composition, and and the way I learned composition was by looking at paintings, and then of yeah. course I, I became more sensitive about it in film too. But it comes with paintings, so you know when someone uses a balance in a picture, it's not hard to 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 take that balance and, and mimic it in film. I mean, it's it's copy and create, um, yeah. and that's the idea, of course. Um, and that's that's the thing. It won't be just it won't be just Edward Hopper. It'll be Edward Hopper today. There's a few other artists that I'm looking at because what what I'll do typically is I'll grab two or three, and then I'll say right, I'm going to use these as the as 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 the outside. This will be how I how I how I frame and and how I block. Because the most complicated thing with directing is actually blocking. Blocking, it, it, nobody really talks about how difficult blocking actually is. What Where is people it? are positioned, how they move together. That's the most complicated. Everybody talks about the acting. The acting is the easy part, uh, in the sense so that blocking, blocking is in. You need them in the frame, like to follow the golden uh, ratio kind of well, thing. Is that how or? how how people move between each other, how they move within frames, how they how they interact with each other, and where they stand, is is something that's very very subtle. And most people who are casually watching a film probably aren't even paying attention. 
But right. you'd be surprised how complicated that can be when you're telling a story and how much, how bad blocking can suddenly look really cluttered or make, you know, subconsciously the viewer either get disconnected from it or, or feel that there's something not right and they don't can't put their finger on it. Um, yeah. Unless it's deliberately trying to, to jar people. Um, but I find it, I found that to be one of the hardest places because when you're trying to tell a story and people are interacting with each other, they've got to stand their marks. They've got to be seen in the camera. They've also got to be the, the, the movement between them can't look artificial because if, if it looks artificial, you'll, re, you'll realize it immediately. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of effort and, and the green sea was particularly difficult because that house in particular was very small. The rooms were not very big. So we had almost no room. I mean, I wasn't even in a lot of the rooms and sometimes I was sandwiched. Um, and there was there was no COVID back then, thank God. Otherwise, we never would have made that film. Um, yeah, right. to, to get the shots in, and it was it was really really difficult. And positioning yeah. the two actors between them because a lot is told with body language, um, and even how they interact with each other is is very telling of what's happening in the story. Um, it's mm. one of those things where I always felt where if you can tell the story with just the images and no dialogue, yeah, that's that's great director right there. You know, yeah, if you could make yeah. out what's more or less happening, top. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's that's all. That's cool. So that's about uh, pretty long, two hours, I think. Oh, I apologize. Oh, no, no, perfect. I mean, I can't complain about the length of content. My God, I know you can talk for Ireland, and not in like a uh, way where you like, oh God, when's he going to stop? It's like everything you say is interesting. So it's. Well, thank you very much. But you were right the first time. I can talk for Ireland, and it definitely. Oh, when's he going to stop? No, no, no. You know, that's not, it's not when's he going to stop. It's like, oh, God, how much can we uh, actually absorb at once or <laughs> or something like that? Well, John, do you have anything to say or anything to ask before I put a conclusion on it? Uh, thanks for having us on, folks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I would definitely, and I hope soon, to definitely get back to streaming and podcasting. So definitely would hope in the event of that to have ivory of, of his on an episode at some stage but that'll be something in the pipeline hopefully yeah well sure. i would love to love to be involved with anything you're doing and like to be honest we've met each other what twice now and every time it's a pleasure okay. thank you very much and likewise okay. okay and um anyone who is watching us um go see the green sea to uh support Randall so he can make his next film more, to make more homegrown horror movies and other fantasy movies. And yeah, it's a good movie. I liked it. Uh, John liked it. You should go watch it. And yeah, I mean, that's the best way, I guess, to help help out with supporting that you, I mean, you're going to make the next one anyway. So, but you know, you need all the support you can get, I guess. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say. Anything else you want to conclude with, uh, Rand? enjoy what you do and that's the thing i mean uh, the, the the truth of the matter is there's a lot of mediocrity in the world so work hard to find the stuff that's not that's all i can say because i mean i spend my days looking for 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 movies for for artists for music that you know do something a little different or, or are willing to push the envelope and i think the problem with the my biggest fear with the future is the fact that people are just going to settle and that's really sad yeah, or be forced by Netflix into a <laughs> box of uh, narrative or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were saying that one last time I was up like that the Netflix was kind of um, that or the system of Netflix or net, that system was kind of 
systematizing cinema and destroying it in a way, but uh, I, I would I don't like to use the word destroying, but um, it's yeah. definitely taking it in a different direction that I think we will lose out long term. A lot of the great things that came from the cinema revolutions of the past, I think, are going to go in a, in a decline. I I think it's going to paint by numbers because it's algorithms. Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult to challenge. And there's yeah. going to be very few people who are in the possibility to be able to challenge. And that becomes very stagnation is, is what really creates rot. And if you have stagnation, rot starts. Yeah. Well, this is where we need people like you, a, uh, a crazy man in a castle who's going to make a movie no matter what's going on. <laughs> that may happen even, even with my phone, if I have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll be great. So, yeah, I guess that's it. And uh, thanks for coming on. And I'll um, talk to you later. Pleasure, guys. And uh, don't forget the movie Onibaba. Great movie. Oh, Onibaba. 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 And The Green Sea. Everybody watch both those movies. And goodbye. <laughs>